1: A note of warning, this podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast, bringing you high profile and under the radar cases from across the country for the week of July 26th, 2019. I'm Billy Jensen and this is Owen Michael. Hello. This week, a Pennsylvania dad guns down the guy supposedly feeding his teenage daughter drugs... Police say he got all the details wrong. Police unravel one mystery and discover more. After a Louisiana woman brings her dead daughter to the ER, claiming there had been an accident, an Iowa man storms off into a blizzard one night in 2009 without his shoes or his keys and vanishes. They finally found him in the last place they looked. But first, a Mississippi College student is found dead miles away from home before anyone knows she's missing. And a fellow student is arrested. What sparked this apparent crime of rage? Owen, what's going on in Mississippi? This is what we have this week. We've got uh,
0: Alexandria Ali Kostial. She was a 21-year-old student at the University of Mississippi, a school also known as Ole Miss. She was from uh, St. Louis, Missouri area. She was studying marketing at the School of Business. She was in a sorority and in a business fraternity on campus, and she was a founding member and the president of the Ole Miss Golf Club. She was taking classes over the summer at the university and was expected to graduate next spring. On Saturday morning, July 20th, Allie Costiel's body was found about 30 miles north of the Ole Miss campus near Sardis Lake, a swimming and fishing lake next to the Holly Springs National Forest. Lafayette County Sheriff's deputies were on routine patrol when they found Allie's body Saturday. On Monday morning, investigators announced foul play was was suspected, pardon me, Sources told KTVI and other outlets that Allie had been shot eight times. Preliminary autopsy report concluded Allie died from multiple gunshot wounds. The Oxford Eagle newspaper reported Wednesday. Also on Wednesday, the city of Oxford released surveillance video taken from the historic downtown square, an old town section of shops and restaurants about a mile from the Ole Miss campus. Video, Video shows Allie hugging a friend as she leaves a bar about 10 minutes before midnight on Friday night. She walks to the end of the street... Talking on her cell phone. A gray van arrives. She gets in. Van lingers for a minute before taking off. Oxford police say it was a rideshare. The Oxford Eagle reports. Allie's roommate said Allie got home about midnight. The roommate was not sure when Allie left again. Allie's body was found hours later at 20, 1023 that Saturday morning. There are reports of surveillance video from a store in the town of Como, Mississippi, about 20 miles west of the lake where Allie was found. We haven't been able to track that down. Uh, so far, the last images of her are from the square.
1: So, Branded Thiesfeld is a 22-year-old fellow student at Ole Miss. He's studying business administration. And surveillance video shows Thiesfeld at a gas station in South Memphis, Tennessee, at about 9.30 on Monday morning this week. And he's wearing an Ole Miss t-shirt, shorts, and a ball cap as he walks inside. Minutes later, outside, Memphis police officers swarm him in his truck and detain him. Police have been tracking Thiesfeld through his cell phone and his credit card use, and he was taken into custody for questioning. By Tuesday morning, the authorities announced that Thiesfeld had been arrested and had been charged with the murder of Ali Costiel. Fox 13 reports a weapon was found in the truck and that Thiesfeld's clothes had blood on them. He had been transferred to um, Oxford, Mississippi, where he was booked into Lafayette County Jail at 345 Monday afternoon. He was held this week without bail. He was formally charged with murder Tuesday morning in court, and he's since been suspended from the University of Mississippi. He's from the Fort Worth area of Texas. KMOV-TV quotes a college student who lived in the same dorm as Thiesfeld. Quote, he was pretty much a daddy's boy type, constantly had to, ref- to, re- to reference his father's money, how his dad could get him out of anything, just that attitude all the time. The Oxford Eagle has an interview with another man who ran into Thiesfeld at a bar in San Marcos, Texas, about two weeks ago on July 13th. The man went through fraternity rush at Old Miss with Thiesfeld in 2016, but had since transferred to a school in Texas and hadn't seen him since then. And this guy told the Eagle that Thiesfeld was super normal and nothing out of the ordinary that night. Thiesfeld told the man he was visiting someone at Texas State University, but the man said the conversation never got around to dating or girlfriends or Allie. Brandon Thiesfeld's father released a statement to WMC-TV, quote, I know my son is innocent, and I have reasons to believe that I can't share anything now. But I would ask everybody to please give him the presumption of innocence until proven otherwise.
0: So KTVI-TV reviewed Thiesfeld's Twitter feed and cited a tweet posted at 7.34 p.m. Saturday, about nine hours after Ali was found dead, It reads, uh, quotes, you dropped a bomb on me. My number one pick for groovy song of the summer. That Twitter account has since been taken down Thursday. Pictures emerged on social media showing Ali and Thiesfeld together. Three pics show the two facing the camera together with arms around each other, posing and smiling for the camera in what appear to be at different parties or events in December 2016. Ali Kostil and Brandon Thiesfeld had dated on and off for at least two years, according to friends and acquaintances. KTVI report, uh, reports that a friend of Ali's tweeted, uh, quotes, he harassed her for years, took advantage of her for years. I spent countless nights holding Allie close, drying her tears about this monster. The Oxford Eagle reports an attorney who just joined Brandon Thiesfeld's defense team said Thiesfeld will plead not guilty in this case. So, we yeah, I mean,
1: we don't know much about this guy other than the um, obviously her friends. And also, you know, the idea that he was always referencing his father's money is interesting because they yes, will see how the rubber's gonna hit the road with that one
0: indeed and uh i'm I'm most interested in, you know I, I read a couple of different spots that they have this uh, surveillance video where the two were together supposedly in this other town um that's the the, the sort of damning evidence if it exists that I want to see
1: well um, they would also they would have been tracking a cell phone and I think that's probably if they were tracking a cell phone which sounds like they were. Um, they they've already seen where it had pinged or even looked into the Google data and seen that he was in that place. He knows her. He had a weapon and he has blood on his clothes. Eight times. He's dead to rights. Eight times times is,
0: you know, especially if, if it seems, you know, it's pure speculation if they were going up there to, you know, go hang out or if you went up there to, to do the thing pre-planned all
1: allegedly, obviously, but eight times is certainly, uh, uh, usually indicative of a lot of rage, a lot of rage. Yeah. But the other interesting thing is that usually with a crime like this, where you, th- these people did know each other, they were in a relationship before, mm-hmm. uh, a, a man using a gun on a woman is, is, is not the norm, right? It's usually so hands or a knife. It's usually like hands or a knife. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, we'll see. We'll keep you updated uh, as
0: soon as we know more about that case. It's a lot of people talking about that this week. Uh, Do you want to take our next question? Yeah, let's go
1: down to Pennsylvania. Beaver Falls, which I believe is where Joe Namath is from. Uh, It's a city in Pennsylvania of about 10,000 people located about 40 miles northwest of Pittsburgh. Last Friday, 41-year-old Michael DiBaggio was at his Beaver Falls home when his daughter while his daughter and his wife were shopping at the local mall. And DiBaggio contacted a 17-year-old high school kid named Darren Jevsack, an acquaintance of his daughter, to ask where he was. And Jevsack replied that, I'm at work. He's at a pizzeria in Newcastle, which is a few towns over and uh, north of Beaver Falls. And he was a pizza delivery driver. Now, Newcastle News reports that DiBaggio had been hearing all last week that his daughter, whose age has not been publicly released, and Jeff Sack were in a relationship. DeBaggio later told police that his daughter had been sneaking out of the house to meet up with Jeff Sack Sack to smoke pot, use cocaine, and buy drugs from the teen. He had reportedly confronted his daughter on the phone while she was at the mall just prior to him contacting Jeff Sack. So this is what DiBaggio does. He drives from Beaver Falls to the Pizza Place in Newcastle, where he saw Darren exit the business out the back door. He later told police he had gone there to talk to the teen, but in the parking lot, he approached the teen, and then he shot Jeff Sack. A nearby neighbor who witnessed the incident in the parking lot told police she saw DiBaggio shoot Jeff Sack, who fell to the ground. She said she watched DiBaggio walk closer and then shoot him again. So KDKA-TV reports that the first shot struck Jeff Sack in the arm.
0: When he fell, the criminal complaint says DiBaggio walked over and shot him in the head. Quotes, so that he could put him out of his misery because he looked to be in shock, as he told police. Criminal complaint says DiBaggio shot Jevsack five or six times. Speaking of rage. Mm-hmm. Quotes, he didn't talk to him, said Newcastle Police Chief Robert Salem. He started shooting as soon as he came out of the place of employment. The witness said the pizza shop owner and another employee came outside while DiBaggio went to his car and appeared to reload his gun. Newcastle News newspaper says the two were talking to DiBaggio as he walked away down the street DeBaggio then put the gun down on the sidewalk and raised his arms for two or three minutes before he picked up the gun and walked up back to this car and made a phone call. Newcastle News reports that the uh, pizzeria owner asked DiBaggio why he shot Jevsak, And Debagio said the teen had gotten his daughter, quotes, hooked on cocaine. So this is what drug dealers get. First responders found Jeff Sack on the ground, bleeding and unresponsive. He was transported to a hospital where he was pronounced dead. Police officers arrived sometime around 5.25 p.m., Michael DeBaggio laid down on the ground and was arrested without a struggle. He was being held in Lawrence County Jail, charged with criminal homicide and aggravated assault. Police say DeBaggio has admitted to driving to the location and shooting the teen. The police chief said J- Darren Jevsack did not sell drugs to DeBaggio's daughter. He said they were in a relationship. They had smoked weed together to, uh, at a party once, according to the USA Today. The police chief says Darren Jevsack was actually working two different jobs. By all accounts, he was a good kid. We don't have any record of him for doing any negative
1: incidents. You know, overprotective dads, you'll do anything to protect your kids. Uh, small town, you, you hear from somewhere that this is the reason why, you know, you know, whether his daughter was doing drugs or not, we don't know. But this is the reason why that was happening. And then you put two and two together in your head. You're just filled with all this rage. And then, you know, normally it doesn't come to this, but... It, but yeah,
0: and before. I mean, I'm wondering, too, you know, small town, you, you tend to get a little bit more maybe uh, uh, media through media reports and, and that kind of thing about the dangers of cocaine and things like that. I'm not familiar with what's going on outside of uh, the suburbs, of, or outside of Pittsburgh, but... Um, I don't know whether the kids are using yeah. cocaine and, and drugs or whatever, or that's just. I mean, I know when I was in high school, that was a little bit of a panic too, is that people yeah. thought that the and now weeds were legal and stuff here. Yeah, I mean, weeds one thing, but uh, you know, but coke is but a, coke you know, is. Uh, I, I get the escalation. Anyway, yeah, no, don't take the law into your own hands.
1: Obviously, it's, and, this um, is it's tragic. Yeah. You know, no, you. If you want to confront them, go and confront them. But yeah, you don't. It doesn't. Take it it doesn't look like he even talked to him. Yeah. He just shot him. It, uh, yeah.
0: Again, it seems like a like a rage <clears throat> incident here. So, uh, but uh, we've got uh, new stories every week. Subscribe to us here on True Crime Daily on YouTube and on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. You can check out this story and uh, more of our content on Facebook, Twitter, and, of course, truecrimedaily.com. You can also give us a call at 888-548-9758. You can share your comments or questions, and we'll run them here
1: on the air. Add your voice to the conversation. And also the uh, photos that we're showing um, and that we're talking about that we might reference, you can also see all of those photos at the True Crime Daily Facebook page, which is the largest True Crime Facebook page in the world. It's true. Now we're going to go to Louisiana. Jasmine Anderson is a 24-year-old resident of Alexandria,
0: Louisiana. which is about 200 miles northwest of New Orleans. Last Thursday, July 17th, Jasmine Anderson walked into the emergency room of a hospital in Alexandria with her five-year-old daughter, who was unresponsive. Anderson told ER workers that she and her daughter were in a car wreck, resulting in the little girl's neck injury. She told staff it was a single-vehicle crash. Medical personnel concluded that the five-year-old girl was already dead when her mother brought her in. Finding the circumstances suspicious, they called Alexandria police. The injury quotes did not seem consistent with what would occur during a crash, a police report says. Anderson had told staff the little girl's head and neck had struck the front passenger's side window. Police officers attempted to locate the scene of the auto accident, but could not find where it supposedly happened. The next day, officers found the site. Reportedly, it was in a field. Detectives investigated the scene, but, quote, evidence indicated it was not a vehicle crash as described by Anderson, police said. That same Thursday, an autopsy revealed the little girl, five-year-old Audrey Lynn Chillette, had died as a result of her neck injury. This week, Jasmine Anderson was located and arrested about 10.15 p.m. Tuesday on a charge of second-degree murder. She was held on $500,000 bond. In April of this year, Jasmine Anderson's four-year-old son, Christopher Cholette, Audrey Lynn's brother, died. KLBTV reports the boy's death is now being investigated again after he apparently died in a choking incident involving a bottle cap. Police were called to a residence in Alexandria in April, where Anderson told an officer she woke up, went to the bathroom, and noticed the boy on the floor not breathing. She said she hadn't seen the boy for about 45 minutes beforehand. The four-year-old boy was hospitalized. Police say medical personnel were able to get a pulse, but the boy did die two days afterward.
1: Wow! So three and a half years ago in February 2016, the father of Christopher and Audrey Lynn died. He reportedly hanged himself. According to the USA Today, Jasmine Anderson and the two children reportedly in the house when it happened. A source close to the family told the Alexandria Town Talk newspaper that Anderson had tried to drown the two children in a lake near their home in 2017. She had been listed as as a missing person leading up to that incident. KLB uh, TV confirms Pineville, Louisiana, police responded to at least two calls on April 2nd, 2017, about a woman who, quote, seemed unstable The callers were concerned about the welfare of the two small children with her. The caller said Jasmine Anderson had told them she wanted to kill herself and that she wanted to give her children in the lake or river and let it baptize them. One caller said Anderson had tried to give the kids to him. Anderson was hospitalized, then committed for several days, then released. The children had been staying with a relative. One of the children's grandmothers told the alexandria town talk quote these kids needed help and we reached out to everyone we could we tried to get custody of those babies and weren't allowed cps failed my babies and again this is a theme that has come up time and time again on this podcast is cps and everyone that's listening to the story right now is saying to themselves how could this woman still have these kids after that incident Louisiana Department of Children and Family Services said they had no comment per instructions from the district attorney's office, of course. And the Rapides um, Parish Sheriff's Office reported that Jasmine Anderson attempted to hang herself with a sheet in her cell this week. She was being held in isolation and was checked on every 15 minutes and made her attempt two minutes after the last check on her. She was reportedly flatlined, according to the sheriff, before she was revived by emergency medics and hospitalized. Her condition was not immediately released. Her attorney has requested a mental health evaluation before the case proceeds. You may recall the uh, – we
0: did a story last week, which you can find on YouTube, uh, uh, True Crime Daily channel. Uh, we had a mother in Northern California who had tried to drown uh, one of her children 10 years ago. And then last week or two weeks ago, succeeded in drowning both of her children in a ditch in, yeah. uh, in Northern California. And again, the children were taken away briefly and then were given back. And there's obviously two different states, but uh, it is it is one of these things. And, you know, f- it's it's awful if you're in one of these agencies because you get it right 99 times. But you get it wrong that, that 100th time. It's a pretty high-profile stuff. And it's,
1: it's the hardest thing to do is take a child away from sure. from a parent. Um, especially a mother, and you always hear the stories about how um, when there is a custody battle, the mother is always going to be deferred to mm-hmm. uh, in in most cases. But we're seeing a, a, a clear pattern here. And even if the mother looks put together in court and is saying all the right things, if there's that history there, particularly of literally trying to kill the kids before, mm-hmm. uh, something must be done, something must be stepped in. And uh, we're just we're seeing these over and over and over again and it's not like and even when we were when we were you know running the the website and things maybe like 2 years ago or 3 years ago i don't remember seeing them at this rapid of a pace of these kind of stories uh it's happening more and more it seems like
0: yeah i mean it's it wasn't for lack of looking i mean we yeah. we scour nation national headlines all day long every day and uh that kind of stuff that's true there does seem to be a spate and i, don't, I wouldn't want to think whether this is copycat stuff or whatever, because some of these things you wouldn't even hear about if you have yeah. different story state States seems to be clearly a mental uh, health issue. But um, this one in particular is tragic. And the fact that uh, you know, they, the kids went back. Yeah. So uh, tell us about our next story out of Iowa.
1: Yeah. Owen in Iowa, Larry Murillo Moncada was a 25 years old year old man. And he went missing in 2009. Larry lived with his parents in council bluffs, Iowa, just across the Missouri river from omaha nebraska and larry worked a shift on thanksgiving that year and returned home friday morning and he worked at a uh a, a supermarket he lived with his parents his mother said larry appeared kind of disoriented when he got home that day so she took him to see a doctor who prescribed an antidepressant for him larry's mother said He said he began to hear voices telling him to, quote, eat sugar and that he was compelled to eat sugar to reduce his racing heartbeat. Later that day, he said someone was following him, his mother told the Daily Nonpareil newspaper. And at 6.15 that Saturday, Larry left the house wearing only pants and a hooded sweatshirt. He wasn't wearing shoes or socks or a proper jacket, and he left his phone, his keys and his car behind. His parents reported him missing that night. And a Council Bluffs police sergeant said he went missing in the middle of a blizzard. That was the last anyone had seen or heard from Larry. In 2016, the no-frill supermarket closed its doors for good. Three more years went by. In January of this year, contractors were in the building to remove freezer units, coolers, and shelves from the location. And behind one of the coolers, they found a decomposed body. The body was unrecognizable, but the clothing matched the description of what Larry was wearing when he vanished. Police said the body appeared to have been there for years, and gender, age, and cause of death could not immediately be determined. This week, the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation positively identified the remains as those of Larry Morella Manqueda, based on DNA testing from his parents, and investigators ruled his death accidental. So employees
0: uh, who used to work at this store, the No Frills Supermarket in Council Bluffs, Iowa told police that it was common for employees to climb up on top of coolers in the store, which is a storage area, and they took unofficial breaks during their shifts. A former manager of the store said workers came and went uh, out of the store regularly without being noticed. Police believe Larry went to the store the night he left home. He climbed up but fell behind one of the coolers into a space of about 18 inches Mm. between the cooler and the wall and got stuck. And it would have been about a 12-foot fall. I'm talking about a huge uh, cooler here. It's believed the noise from the compressors would have been loud enough to muffle any calls for help. It's also a holiday weekend. Yeah. Uh, it's so loud, there's probably no way anyone heard him, said Council Bluffs Police Sergeant Brandon Danielson, who gave details of the case to the Des Moines Register and other news outlets this week. Danielson is also the officer who was originally assigned to the missing person case in 2009. Larry Murillo Mancata was the first person who came to mind when the body was found in January, Danielson told the Register. Quotes the mother. She kind of had an idea that he had never left the no frills, said Sergeant Danielson. uh, She had mother's intuition. Uh, So we had a lot of comments about this uh, on Facebook. uh, People wondering how they wouldn't hear or they wouldn't smell decomposition or anything like that. Um, I have worked in supermarkets in my formative years. uh, And I can tell you that going into the back, which is basically like a giant warehouse uh, in this kind of area, the the odour is awful because you're talking about uh, just – pounds and pounds and pounds of rotting produce from the produce section. You're talking about old food being thrown out, that kind of stuff. Plus, you know, there's gigantic industrial sized fans and things like that. It probably would have gone unnoticed. Uh, And as Mm -hmm. they say, the the sound itself uh, is really loud and warehouse-like in the back of many supermarkets. Um, But I can tell you that the smell is is pretty bad Mm -hmm. in in supermarkets Uh, in the back. And, you know, it's not a health issue it's just uh, this is what happens when you move that uh, that amount of food, so a lot of people uh were trying to reverse engineer how this would have happened, but it seems like it was a pretty uh, open and shut situation, but uh it's goes to show you that missing persons' cases can be tragic even when there's no crime involved yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, oh my god yeah. you know, you you hear stories like this you yeah know, the, the story of um there was one of of uh, uh, a kid that was found in a chimney. Yeah, long time. yeah, remember, I remember that, that story? That yeah, uh, and mean,
0: it's just the, the parents have some closure at least. I mean, they know they have his remains, and they know what happened. At least, tonight. yeah, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not a mystery. So thoughts and prayers. So but you know, we comments. get comments. Speaking of comments, we get comments. We get a lot of comments on our Facebook page, and and, our YouTube page. Uh, so uh, on
1: Facebook, we had a story. And I'm going to read it straight from there. Surveillance video shows a mother and former member of the Israeli military chasing down a man who flashed her. She caught him and hopes the situation will send a message to other perps because she gave him a beatdown. It was just after 6 a.m. The single mother had the wind in her hair and a smile on her face as she ran down Memorial Drive in Cambridge, enjoying my beautiful day. I was thinking, what a great day. To be alive, Memorial Drive in Cambridge is quite pretty. You can see Boston in the background. Then the unthinkable happened. Guy came up, pulled down his pants once, and, you know, I didn't react too much. And as he came closer, he pulled them down again. And she said, then I understood. Maybe it's not what I think it is. She said the middle-aged man reached out to try to grab her, and then she flipped out and gave him a beating. And uh, this was something that most of our uh Uh, readers were happy for, but, but there was some comments that I want to take issue with. So Monica P said, I'm glad her military action training put no fear in her. Who knows if she couldn't serve him some Jackie Chan or Bruce Lee kicks. God bless her. Um, It's Krav Maga, not jujitsu. That's true. Uh, Monique L said, I highly doubt she put any fear in him. I don't know why she's saying that. (laughs) <laughs> um, James w-, w said, and he could have slit her throat or blew her brains out. Stop trying to be a superhero. What is wrong with you people on our Facebook page? You're um, allowed to fight back if this happens to you. Especially Israeli Defense Forces. Uh, that they don't mess. Oh, around. you don't that's mess around. around. So that's,
0: that's pretty tough. So uh, I'd say that she was a lethal weapon
1: herself. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Terry S. said, I wish I had done that. I was pumping gas when I was a teen wearing a bikini top because it was hot and a guy in a Corvette wanted gas. When I came to get his money, he was having fun with himself. Wow. That sounds like 1970s. in uh, yeah, sure right yeah, yeah, that's Corvette summer right there. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, Alicia K. said, I watched the video and she's a badass. I hope when she catches that creep again, it's on video for all of us to see. So I was uh, disappointed with some of our uh, users. Yes, you never really want to take the law in your own hands, but she was actually going to be, she was not only flashed, she was, this guy was trying to grab her.
0: You know, uh, it's funny because a lot of people are all about the stand your ground uh, situation when it comes to guns and things like that.
1: Mm -hmm. But a woman fighting back and then they have, they have issues with that. Particular
0: commenters, that's
1: their. Yes, that is your cross to bear. So you can check out our content on YouTube and Facebook and TrueCrimeDaily.com. And don't forget to download our weekly podcast on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And if you have comments or questions about the show, call us up and leave us a message at 888-548-9758. We'd love to hear from you. But be advised, your recording may be used on the air in any of our future podcasts. So until next week, this is True Crime Daily, the podcast reminding you, don't do crimes.